Welcome to Wellness Realness with Christina Rice. I'm your host, Christina. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner, holistic health coach, and the creator of ChristinaRiceWellness.com, where you can find my blog, recipes, services, programs, and ebooks. In this podcast, I'll be discussing all things related to health and wellness, and I promise to always keep it very real. If you'd like to submit a question or a topic for me to discuss, send it in to podcast at ChristinaRiceWellness.com. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a rating and a review on iTunes, and join the Facebook group, Wellness Realness Podcast Tribe. Happy September! I cannot believe it's September. I don't know where August went. I'm recording this at the tail end of my social media detox for a week. It's been very strange not communicating with you guys via social media for a week, but it's been really nice. I'll have to do a whole update on it later. I did lots of things. I had actually a very exciting week. I guess you'll just never know. You'll just never know what I did, but I did spend some quality time with my family and friends, and one of the biggest successes of the past week was getting my mother to start using my beloved Somnifix. You guys know how much I love Somnifix, and Somnifix is a sponsor of this show because I adore Somnifix so much, and so many people have had their lives completely transformed because they started using this. If you don't know what it is, it's mouth tape. You put this on your mouth when you sleep. It tapes your mouth shut so that it forces you to breathe through your nose while you sleep. I've actually had quite a few people text me about Somnifix in the past week. I had a few of the girls who went on the Wellness Realness retreat message me to let me know that they've been using it since they got it in their goodie bags at the retreat and that it's a game changer and they had no idea what they're missing out on that was awesome I also had my friend Dana from Eats to Know text me and she was on the podcast if you haven't listened to that episode Dana texted me and told me that she was at some fitness event I believe it was and they were talking about the benefits of mouth taping awesome And then a family friend texted me just yesterday and it was a link to an article from MSN and basically it was saying, oh, I tried mouth taping for a week and here were the surprising results. And she goes, I can't believe this is catching on. It's so cool. Yeah, it's really cool. And Somnifix is the best mouth tape out there because it's specially designed to be hypoallergenic. It does not hurt when you take it off. I think we can all imagine how it would kind of hurt if you put normal tape over your mouth and then ripped it off. That doesn't sound nice, but Somnifix doesn't hurt at all when you take it off. It also has a little breathable mouth vent in the front of the tape, so you could breathe a little bit through it if you don't if you're worried about being claustrophobic and not being able to breathe, don't worry, you definitely can. When I first was trying out Somnifix, I was a little nervous about this too, but the only reason I even tried it was because it had the Somnifix specifically. So I, when I, when I was first getting used to it, would just tape my mouth shut with my lips parted a little bit so that I knew if I needed to, I could 
breathe through my mouth. But the truth is that we should be breathing out of our noses, not our mouths, especially while we sleep. Breathing through the nose is much more efficient and it is the way we can stay in that calm, rest and digest parasympathetic state. Many people wake up during the night because they sleep with their mouths open, which puts them into the sympathetic mode and their cortisol spikes and they wake up. And the truth of the matter is that it's not normal or ideal to be waking up in the middle of the night. And it's so funny because I was actually just talking to somebody about her sleep patterns and she goes, oh, I don't have any issues with sleep. I was like, okay. And then we continue the conversation and I come to find out that she wakes up four to five times a night to go to the bathroom. And I was like, well, I thought you said you don't have any sleep issues. And she goes, well, I don't. I just have to use the restroom. And I was like, well, that's a, that's a sleep issue. That's not normal. And if you wake up in the middle of the night because you think you have to pee, it's not normal. Unless you drank like two gallons of water right before you went to sleep, which I doubt you did. Our bodies should be able to shut things off throughout the whole night and postpone any need to pee until the morning. You're waking up not because you really have to pee. You're waking up because your cortisol is probably spiking, which could be due to a number of reasons, but it could be just because you're sleeping with your mouth open. That's not ideal. And it's just really helpful. It also stops you from drooling. But breathing through your mouth can lead to a dry mouth, a sore throat. It can lead to poor gut health nasal congestion, it can cause snoring, it can lower your blood oxygen saturation, it can decrease your immunity, it really affects your mood and energy the next day when you don't get high quality sleep and also just has overall consequences for your general health, your fitness, and your sleep. People are surprised at how much it affects their fitness because there's so much that has to do with the breath when it comes to exercise and working out. So, that's where the Somni Fix, just starting at night, teaching yourself to start breathing through your nose is really ideal. We're supposed to eat with our mouths, breathe with our noses, become a nose breather. So if you want to check it out, you can go to somnifix.com to pick up a box or you can get it on Amazon and you can use the discount code CRWSLEEP for 15% off. Again, that's CRWSLEEP. Just go to Amazon. Type that in and you'll get 15% off of your first box. You will not regret it. It's seriously an amazing product. I adore it. And I'm so excited that my mom is finally going to start using it. She better use it regularly. And I just love hearing about how much mouth taping is changing people's lives. I have been traveling a lot the past. It's been almost two, two and a half, three weeks that I've been gone. And I used to hate traveling so much and one of the reasons I hated it was because my sleep was horrible and while still there are some nights when I don't get as much sleep as I would like when I travel because you're often doing things, days can get busy, nights can get late, I know that even if I get less hours of sleep, although that hasn't been happening recently, but just in general, I'm going to get high quality sleep. I'm going to stay asleep throughout the night. So in terms of it traveling, it's made that so much easier for me ever since I started mouth taping every night because I don't know, I just still feel better. I don't feel like my whole body got wiped out from a trip, but I have been sleeping like a baby since going on this, this vacation. I went to my cabin 
for a while and slept so much and then I went back to the Bay Area and I have been trying to get plenty of sleep in although my family is a bad influence on me they have really messed up sleep schedules which is probably where I get it from so some nights have not been my ideal but you know we make it work I have had a great time I've been relaxing and also busy so good combination of those and it has been a very good trip and when this goes up I will be back in Los Angeles for a few weeks before I'm off again always always on the run I am so yeah there's a lot going on very excited I've been working on some secret projects it's gonna be a blast but Let's just talk about today's guest because I have been so excited for you guys to hear this episode ever since I recorded it, which we recorded this quite a long time ago. I'm running into this issue, honestly, where I'm recording episodes really far in advance. I have enough content for the next four months and I hate I hate recording and waiting so long to release it. So I'm going to have to figure something out. I might have to start doing multiple episodes a week, but we'll see. Anyways, those are personal problems. (laughs) Um, Okay, ever since I recorded this episode, I've been so excited for you guys to hear it because probiotics are such a hot topic and everybody asks questions about it and there's so much misinformation spread out there about probiotics and I wanted an expert on the show and this episode was just all the things I love chatting about and fueled my soul and I want everybody to hear all this information as well. So I'm so excited it's finally here. Today's guest is Karan Krishnan who is a research microbiologist who focuses on the human microbiome my favorite topic ever. He is a frequent lecturer to national and international audiences, and he's talking to the medical community as well as just the general public on radio, different podcasts. So I was really excited to have him on this podcast. He comes from a research background in the fields of molecular medicine and microbiology at the University of Iowa. And he has worked on dozens of different human clinical trials in human nutrition through the clinical research organization that he established. And recently, he published a groundbreaking leaky gut study that basically showed the reversal of leaky gut in 30 days with the Just Thrive probiotic, which was pretty amazing. And you guys know I love Just Thrive probiotic. And still, Karan is involved in nine other ongoing human clinical trials testing the effect of different probiotics on conditions like AIDS and HIV, leaky gut, thyroid issues, Hashimoto's, IBS, liver conditions, so many different health conditions. So he's doing a lot of really incredible, interesting research, and I love chatting with him. He shares a lot of incredible information that I think will help you out when it comes to navigating this whole probiotic space. And I just, I want to have him back on the podcast. It was so great chatting with him. And we do talk about, you know, different probiotics. I think this will help explain to you guys why I am so picky about 
probiotics as well. And, you know, Karan and I chatted also a bit more when we weren't recording. And it's just crazy to hear what's going on in the probiotic industry and like the truth about what probiotics are BS and which ones are great. And this is why, I mean, all my clients know, and if you follow me, you know how picky I am when it comes to probiotics. And there are maybe like two that I ever recommend to people, (laughs) maybe three, depends. I'm very, very picky. And um, one of the ones that I really recommend to everybody is the Just Thrive one. I think that it's great for people to get on high quality probiotic. That's another product I'm trying to make my mom take daily. I have to stick it next to her morning tea so that she remembers. But (laughs) um, if you want to check out that probiotic, you can get that one online. And you can go to bit.ly slash thrive probiotic CRW to check that out. It's also on my shop page on my website, christinaricewellness.com slash shop. And you can find everything that I like there. So definitely check out that probiotic if you listen to this and you're like, all right, I'm ready to take the plunge and get on a high quality probiotic. Definitely check out the Just Thrive one. I adore it. And again, that is bit.ly slash Thrive Probiotic CRW to check that out. So I'm really excited for you guys to hear this. Really thankful for Kron coming on the podcast and sharing all of his knowledge. He's amazing. And lucky for you, I'm also doing a giveaway, which should go up the day this releases. For the Just Thrive Probiotic, two winners are going to win a month supply. And that's going to be on my Instagram. So check out my Instagram page if you want to enter into that giveaway. Again, it's my favorite probiotic. It's the one that I take every single day. So yeah, check it out if you want to win some free high quality probiotics, real deal. And I think that's pretty much all the updates I have for you. So I know you're dying to just listen to this. So let's hop right in. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Very uh, excited. I am so excited to chat with you about all things gut health, probiotics, but for people who maybe aren't familiar with you, can you share a little bit about what you do? Sure, yeah. So I'm uh, I'm a microbiologist, a research microbiologist, really, and um, for the last about 15 years, I've focused a lot of my uh, professional work on studying the microbiome. Um, That is the totality of organisms and all of the genetic elements in our gut, on our skin, and our eyeballs, and all kinds of places in our body, which is basically covered with bacteria and other microorganisms, and and how those function with health and wellness, and in particular, the area of probiotics and, you know, the, the search for these really amazing beneficial bacteria that seem to be able to protect us in a significant way from disease, um, especially the kinds of disease that we are very susceptible to in the modern, um, you know, kind of living environment that we've put ourselves in. Um, so that's been my focus. So as a microbiologist, I've developed products. I've done a lot of clinical studies. Um, I'm, I'm currently involved in 10 human clinical trials on probiotics in the microbiome. Um, I do a lot of lecturing. I lecture at about 45 to 50 conferences a year. Um, and then I probably do, you know, a hundred different podcasts and, um, webinars and things like that. So I have a big focus on education, getting the right information out there so that people are empowered 
and they have the knowledge to be able to improve their lives. So it's it's really um, a pleasure to be able to do that. And so thank you for inviting me on to be able to do that. Yeah, no, I'm so excited to have you clear some things up because I think probiotics are a really hot topic right now and yeah. something that people are confused about. But before we kind of dive into all of that, like what got you interested initially in this area of research? You know, I've always been a super nerd. So um, I... Uh, the the thing that got me actually interested in science in general was actually um, a a story I vividly remember uh, from back when I was about seven years old. I lived in, I was living in Malaysia at the time, so I lived in Malaysia in India, and I moved to the U.S. Um, around right before eighth grade. My mom is a medical doctor, and she had a couple of private practice clinics, and I was always kind of playing around the clinic and all that. I was always very fascinated by what she did for work. And I remember this one time, a guy had come into her clinic, this was in Malaysia, and he had dropped something massive on his toe. And his toe looked to be about three times the size of a normal toe. And it was just like pulsating. And I know he was in excruciating pain. You could just see that on his face. And she said, okay, come in, I'll take care of it. And I said, you know, mom, can I come in? I want to see what you do. So she she let me come into the the exam room, and I couldn't wait to see what she was going to do to this thing. You know, it was it was just um, it, it was a horrific sight to see this guy's toe and the kind of agony he was in. So then she goes into her little toolkit and she pulls out these forceps and scalpel things that look like they're going to be really bad and really painful, and then she proceeds to cut his toenail out and then puncture a hole in the nail bed and all that. And and so she's doing these things that intuitively would seem to be the wrong thing to do. You know, he's already got a busted up toe. She's basically cutting into it more. Mm-hmm. And um, But that was actually the right thing to do. The nail was going to die, so she pulled that off. She needed to relieve the, the internal pressure, which is where the bleeding was. And so she was able to puncture a hole in the nail bed and release all of this kind of old blood. And, um, and he was like tremendously relieved after all of that. And that was, to me, uh, kind of a moment where I, I look back and I remember I go, and I think to myself, like, wow, she has this amazing knowledge of how his body was structured and how it worked and what the problem was. And even though it seemed like the crazy approach for somebody who didn't understand those things, it was the right approach. And she had the knowledge to make this guy's life better. So then it became my personal goal to to study science and understand the human body and and have the kind of knowledge that can improve people's lives. And that's where I got into the science to begin with. But I got into microbiology um, specifically because of a movie called Outbreak. Um, First day in the dorms in college, they were showing this movie Outbreak, which is with Dustin Hoffman and Morgan Freeman. I don't know if you remember that movie. No, I haven't seen that. No, you got to see it. It's old. It's old movie. It's like in the it's from the 90s. But um, it's basically a viral outbreak. You know, some some uh, monkey virus from Africa comes in and people are getting sick all over the place. These are the people from the CDC and the military and they're chasing this virus to figure out an antidote. And and uh, a lot of people that are doing this work were microbiologists. And so the very next day I said, that's what I want to do. I'm going to go and sign up to be to study microbiology. So I went and I registered at the School of Microbiology, the School of Medicine, the Department of Microbiology. That's how I got into that. 
You know, and so um, when you're in microbiology, there's many different types of bacteria you can study. You can study very useful bacteria like they use in oil cleanups. Like, for example, if there's an oil spill, one of the ways of cleaning up an oil spill is by using bacteria that can break down the oil. They use bacteria in the textile industry to soften, um, you know, clothing, to clean things. They use them a lot in industry. Then there are bacteria that you can study that are very infectious. You know, you can study um, things like anthrax and so on. And then there are the good bacteria, which is actually the vast majority of bacteria that actually promote health and wellness. And so I decided to go into the area to study good bacteria. Um, and, of course, you get a good amount of all the other stuff, too, but... But that's yeah. basically a long story of how I got into it. No, that's so interesting. <laughs> and now I want to watch that movie. <laughs> you got to see it. It's fantastic. It's uh, Morgan Freeman, Ren Rene Russo, Cuba Gooding Jr. It's great. Oh, my gosh. Okay, yeah. I need to add that to my list. Um, so thanks for that recommendation. But so then sure. where did – like how did you land end up in like the, the gut microbiome probiotics – yeah, so that that became really interesting. So, um, you know, the microbiome science really started coming out back in about 2009-2010. Um, right around that time, interestingly enough, I was doing a lot of clinical research work for other companies. So I had started a clinical research organization where um, companies would hire my group to do studies on their products and ingredients. And one of the companies that actually hired us, right, uh, it was right around 2009, was a large multinational retail brand. And they wanted us to study the probiotic market. They wanted us to test probiotic products that were on the shelf and, and see, you know, did any of the claims make sense? Do we really need it to be refrigerated versus non-refrigerated? Should we have 100 billion or 50 billion or 300 billion? Um, and then they wanted us to kind of come up with the next recommendations for them for, uh, for what the best types of probiotic bacteria would be so that they can design a new generation of products. This was right when uh, information from the human microbiome started coming out. And, and so I dove in and I started studying the probiotic market itself. And as I started studying the probiotic market, I started learning all of these kind of disturbing and bizarre things. And as I started learning all these disturbing, bizarre things, it got, I got even deeper. And what I realized is there was a lot of misconceptions, a lot of misleading information, a lot of confusion about what a probiotic is, um, you know, what the microbiome is, how, the pro, how these commercial probiotics uh, function within the natural microbiome within your gut. And, and so it became my uh, mission to really study that area, develop really effective probiotic strains that did not uh, follow the same uh, pattern as the stuff that's typically on the market that doesn't really make sense. Um, and then also get to a point where we can find strains that actually have a significant impact on people's health. Um, yes. so that's, uh, yeah, I was really hired to do it. So it was completely an objective, uh, you know, reason to get into the uh, the space and and then I found it to be really bizarre and confusing and a lot of misconceptions. Yes, and I wanted to. It's so like juicy, like all the dirty secrets about the probiotic industry. Mm -hmm. It's so interesting. Absolutely. Yeah, and I mean, so all those things that you mentioned, I want your answers to. So like, let's kind of start from the the beginning. Like, what? Yeah. Why do people need to take probiotics? Should they take them? Like, what is the benefit of a probiotic? What is it really doing? 
Yeah. So so let's assume you're taking uh, you have access to what would be a, a truly functional probiotic, one that meets the scientific definition. Mm-hmm. We'll get into what exactly that means and how does a bacteria qualify as a functional probiotics. Right. But let's assume for now that you have one. What that probiotic should be able to do for you is essentially protect you from the highly toxic environment that we live in. So now we know that the vast majority of diseases that we deal with in terms of chronic illness in the U.S., so if you look at things like um, autoimmune uh, disease, cancers, diabetes, obesity, heart disease, um, even, and, then when, and then symptoms of those which are anxiety, depression, you know, uh, mental illness, all of these things all stem from the same cause. They all stem from an ecological disruption of the microbiome, right? And that's the bacteria that live in and on our system. Now, the question may be, well, why, why would an ecological disruption of the microbiome have such a profound impact on your health? Well, that's because more than 90% of all our biological activity on a day-to-day basis is conducted by bacteria, Right, so, so when you look at our genetics, we've got about 22,000 genes in our chromosomes, and that sounds like a lot, but then when you compare it to like a rice plant that has 38,000 genes or an earthworm that has almost 40,000 genes, we are half as cool as an earthworm or a rice plant, right? And so the question is, how is it that we're so sophisticated? How is it that we're at the top of the food chain or top of the evolutionary ladder? Well, the reason is because we have three and a half million bacterial genes in our system that we actually use for function. Mm -hmm. Our immune system counts on bacteria for almost 80% of its function, right? And our our metabolic system counts on bacteria for for the vast majority of its function. Um, So everything that occurs in your body is controlled in large part by the types of bacteria that you have in and on your system. And you're, you know, I always talk, tell, tell people there's a, there's a super nerdy term that people can use. It's called a holobiome, right? A human being is actually a holobiome. Holobiome stands for a super organism. So what we really are is we're a walking, talking rainforest. We are a very complex ecology. We have uh, thousands of species of bacteria and other microbes that exist on our system and in our system. And in order for our system to be perpetuated towards health and wellness, all of those organisms have to work together and work in, in certain balance. And we now know that simple disruptions in that ecology leads to disease. Right. So, for example, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll give you two good examples of that. Uh, take Parkinson's. Right. So Parkinson's is a is a is a very scary neurodegenerative disease. Right. The prevalence of Parkinson's is going up at a very steady clip. Alzheimer's is a very scary neurodegenerative disease. The part the prevalence rate of Alzheimer's is going up at a very steady clip. Now, Parkinson's and Alzheimer's together make up the the largest portion of neurodegenerative diseases that Americans face, right? So um, something like one in four people will either develop Parkinson's or Alzheimer's, um, you know, in, in their 60s, 70s and beyond. And it's extremely scary. Those are both very scary diseases to, to have to deal with. Both of them start with a single toxin from a single group of bacteria in the gut. Both of those conditions. 
Now, that same toxin is also responsible for anorexia nervosa. That same toxin is also responsible for low testosterone in men, for the vast majority of autoimmune conditions, even things like psoriasis, eczema, Hashimoto's. Uh, it's also the number one driver of heart disease. It's also the number one driver of, car of uh, diabetes. And this is all this, you know, coming from the microbiome itself, right? So when, when the microbiome is perturbed, it can lead to significant amount of chronic disease. And so by that rationale, when the microbiome is preserved, when there's balance, then you should be able to live a life free of chronic illness. And that's where the importance of an effective probiotic that can bring balance back to your microbiome uh, comes in. Yeah, wow, that's pretty like mind-blowing when you think about how important they are. Um, but I, I think also, I mean, I would love for you to touch on why... I, I mean, I come from a space, a lot of people are in the ancestral movement and really just trying to, you know, go back to real foods, emulating the way our ancestors live. And we get this pushback with any type of supplementation. Like, why should I have to supplement if I'm eating whole foods? Yeah. Yeah. And that's a really important thing. So, uh, for example, like I've been I've been to paleo effects a few times. Right. That's mm -hmm. a, that's one of the big uh, uh, movements with with ancestral life, uh, lifestyle and all that. Um, I would say the biggest difference. So, if you live an ancestral lifestyle, if you if you eat paleo like, um, if you're if you're moving in that direction, that's good, and that's that's actually good for your system. The biggest difference between the between the foods you would choose to eat now and what your ancestors ate at the time is that their foods were full of bacteria because it was full of dirt. Mm -hmm. Right, and and we're just not getting that exposure anymore. So even if you are you are eating a paleo like diet or an ancestral like uh, lifestyle. You're still not consuming that natural dirt that our ancestors um, ate, uh, ate, slept in, played in, existed in, and were born into for millions of years. Yeah, that's the biggest difference. So that's what we were focusing on, right? So um, when when I asked myself the question when I was doing this research study for this for this company, um, I asked myself, where did our ancestors get their probiotics? Right? They did mm -hmm. not have refrigerated sections in Whole Foods. They did not have these pills and capsules and all that stuff. They got it from their environment, right? So they our ancestors are smart enough to eat dirt. And they didn't sterile. They didn't live in sterilized environments. They didn't sterilize their food, so they got huge exposure to environmental bacteria. And then you start looking into the studies, and there's a significant amount of evidence that exposure to environmental bacteria in in an, uh, what we call the um, the the ancient microbial environment. So that's the most pristine microbial environments, not like our parks and areas that are engineered. Right, that doesn't really count. Um, if you get that kind of exposure, there's a significant benefit to your health. There's, there's longevity benefits, there's significant reduction in chronic disease, and so on. So uh, my whole focus was what were these bacteria that they were exposed to and in what amounts? Mm -hmm. And fortunately, there are studies on all of that stuff. You know, So there are things like glacial ice core studies. I don't know. Are you familiar with glacial ice core studies? No, I'm not. No, so it's really interesting. So what they can do is they can go to glacial ice. These are, um, you know, uh, ice formations that are millions of years old um, in the South Pole, the North Pole, the Tibetan plateaus, all, all different areas. And then they drill down these cores and they pull out these thousand foot long cores of ice. And each little section of that core represents what the environment was like at that time. 
So what they've been able to do is, is look at core sections that represent 2 million years ago, 3 million years ago, 4 million years ago, even you know, a couple hundred thousand years ago throughout the course of human evolution. And, and they're able to look in the glacial ice and see what the environment was like, what types of gases were in the environment. And then they can also look at what type of microbes were in that environment. Uh -huh. And so glacial ice core studies have pulled the predominant microbes that were found in the environment throughout the course of human evolution. Those are the microbes that we started focusing on because those are the microbes that our ancestors ate every day as probiotics. Wow, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that so is we just amazing. Went simple, yeah. Right? And so and so you look at all these probiotics, all these companies are putting together and they're like they're going 200 billion, 300 billion, they're wrapping stuff in seaweed, they're putting these fancy capsules on it, uh, all of this stuff and my my question was what did our ancestors do? You know, like let's go back to basics. You know, they did not have this kind of technology. So what did, how did they get exposure to bacteria? Because clearly they did. Because we got, we have this amazing symbiotic relationship with bacteria in our environment. And, and so we just dug back and said, okay, here's where you would find the types of bacteria our ancestors um, were exposed to. And then as it turns out, and that's why we're doing 10 human clinical trials, as it turns out, when you put those types of bacteria back into your system, they do almost miraculous things. That's amazing. So I need you to tell me what type of bacteria they, they were exposed to. Like, there are so many different types of probiotics, and maybe you could mm. help explain the different types and, like, which yeah. ones people should be looking for. Yeah, so, you know, the companies that kind of went after that, that, idea of, of getting soil organisms as probiotics, typically what you'll find is HSOs or homeostatic soil organisms or soil-based bacteria products, right? So you have your soil-based bacteria products, you have your human-derived products, which is your typical lactobacillus bifidobacteria, the, the, the vast majority of probiotics that you see in the market. Um, and then you have other bacteria like Saccharomyces boulardii, which is a probiotic yeast, You've got Pediococcus acetolactici, which is an environmental bacteria um, that is that has been used in the food system for fermenting sausages. So there's like there's a few different categories, but right now the two biggest are um, the the conventional dairy derived or human derived probiotic bacteria, the Lactobacillus and Bifidobacteria, and then the um, the oil or the soil based organisms. So that's that's the the two categories. Now the thing is we would lean more towards the soil-based organisms because our findings were that the vast majority of beneficial bacteria that our ancestors got exposed to were also found in the soil, typically. The problem with the vast majority of soil-based organism products on the market is that all they've done is take a whole bunch of random bacteria from dirt and put it into a capsule. <laughs> Right. And like when typical. you look at the typical, right? And like there's no thought to it, there's no research. It just it boggles my mind as a microbiologist when I see products like this. Like one of the first ones I picked up was a product, you know, very well known soil based organism product. I looked at it and it had twenty nine strains in it. Right. And I'm like, okay, twenty nine strains. I'm like, how much of each of these strains do you have in your product? They they have no idea. Um, how do you know you have these strains in your product? Are you doing DNA analysis on the product? Nope, they're not doing that. So they have no idea what's in the product. They just called up a supplier and said, hey, we need uh, you know, a bunch of soil organisms. Some companies sent them a bunch of powder and they look at it and they go, okay, this must be probiotic bacteria. 
put it in a capsule, put it out in the market. That's it, you know, <laughs> story yeah. done. And then, of course, there's a lot of fancy marketing to it, right? So there's a lot of money spent on making packages pretty and, and, and uh, you know, having the right wording. Now, when we started looking at it, we said, okay, that we know as microbiologists, we know the vast majority of bacteria that exist in the soil do not function as probiotics in the body. The reason is their job is in the soil, right? What they do is they fix nitrogen for the roots of the plants. They break down uh, plant matter and, and uh, dead and dying animal matter into carbon sources, into nitrogen sources, and so on. Um, you know, they, they sequester carbon dioxide from the environment. They do all of these amazing things in the soil. So their work is in the soil. The gut is a very different environment than the soil. To begin with, the soil is an aerobic environment, meaning it's it's an oxygen-rich environment, right? The gut is an anaerobic environment. There's no oxygen in the gut. And so you need a bacteria that can sit here in the soil in an aerobic environment and yet enter an anaerobic environment and breathe in, an, in a non-oxygen environment. So two very different things. And then the vast majority of bacteria in the soil will die going through the gastric system. So our... Stomach pH is typically between a pH of 1.2 to 2.2. It's a very, very acidic environment. In fact, it's so acidic that if you were able to touch your own stomach acid, it would burn off your fingertips, right? That's how acidic it is. So the vast majority of bacteria do not survive through the stomach acid. So what we were looking for is we said, okay, our ancestors ate dirt. They swallowed thousands of different bacteria on a regular basis from dirt. However, very few of those bacteria actually had the capability of surviving through that stomach acid. And then once they got into the, the gut, they could breathe in this non-oxygen environment. And then even more so, they had to have these receptors to be able to bind to the intestinal tissue to actually colonize in the gut. Most soil bacteria don't have that capability because, again, their job is in the soil. Right. So mm -hmm. we honed in using this kind of thinking to say, OK, which bacteria in the soil actually have those characteristics where they could act as a probiotic? That's when we found those bacillus endospores. I hope you guys are enjoying all of this information from Quran. Your head is probably spinning from learning so much. So let's just take a brief pause for a second. And I want to talk to you about one of my favorite companies, Four Sigmatic. If you don't already know about Four Sigmatic, they create different mushroom elixirs, mushroom superfood blends, mushroom coffees, because they're on a mission to make drinking mushrooms and superfoods delicious and easy to do because we're finding out that there's a whole kingdom of mushrooms with a ton of incredibly beneficial health benefits out there and these mushrooms have been used for centuries for immunity, energy, and longevity in a wide variety of cultures and now it's time to use these in our culture and they taste delicious when it comes to Four Sigmatic and that's why I love Four Sigmatic products as well because I've tried different mushroom blends and a lot of times they just, they don't taste that great. And Four Sigmatic makes it super easy because all you have to do is mix it in with hot water and you're ready to go. You have a delicious drink and you get all the health benefits. I would honestly drink it whether or not it had health benefits because it tastes so good. But when you research 
any single one of these functional mushrooms like reishi, chaga, cordyceps, or lion's mane, you are going to read about just so many health benefits your brain will spin. So I think these are just especially incredible when it comes to immunity and longevity. They all have different specific things that they're the most helpful with, but in general, a lot of them have a a ton of different health benefits. So I want to highlight a few of their mushroom elixirs and let you know what you would use them for. So let's start with reishi, which is my obsession. Reishi is a great mushroom elixir for de-stressing, calming down, supporting your sleep. Love to have this one in the evening before I go to bed. It's so good. It helps you relax. Great after a stressful day or a long day. Seriously love it. I will just mix it in with some hot water or some warm nut milk and it's just the perfect nighttime drink. That's all you have to do. And then another one of my favorites is the chaga. Chaga is great for overall well-being, but really incredible for immunity because it has such powerful antioxidant properties. So it's called the king of the mushrooms for a reason. It's really, really great for supporting immune function. And I like to drink this, especially if you feel like you are going to get sick or maybe it's flu season. I like to drink this one earlier in the morning, although I'll drink it at night too sometimes. But morning tends to be best because it's just like, you know, fighting everything off during the day. So love the chaga. Another great one is cordyceps, which is best for energy and performance. So this is great around a workout. If you're an athlete, if you're an active person, try the cordyceps. It's an adaptogen. So it's going to help give you steady energy levels throughout the day. And it's not a stimulant like a coffee, which can give you a spike in a crash and be stressful on the adrenals. So the cordyceps is great because it's helping the body produce its own energy. If you do a morning workout, this can be a really nice like morning drink to follow up with. Really great. Or, you know, drink this and maybe do your workout in the afternoon. Love it. Or if you're just an active person or if you just like the taste like me, you know, delicious. Another one that's amazing is lion's mane. Lion's mane is known for supporting brain health and your nervous system. It's an all-natural cognitive enhancer. So if you're into supporting your memory, your brain health, your concentration, your focus, get you some lion's mane and you're on the road to success. It's great if you study a lot, if you're reading a lot, writing a lot, just need to focus, zero in, check out the lion's mane. So those are their mushroom elixirs that I'm obsessed with. They also have a whole line of hot cacao mixes, mushroom coffees. So if you are a coffee drinker, but you want something that kind of helps even out the stimulating effects of the coffee so you can have your coffee without the jitters attached, I highly recommend checking out their mushroom coffee mixes. They have one that has cordyceps and chaga and one that has lion's mane and chaga. I'm getting my sister hooked on the lion's mane and chaga mushroom coffee mix because she drinks coffee and she's the teacher. So she needs to support her brain health to deal with all of that. (laughs) And they have a ton of superfood blends as well. So those are some of my favorite Four Sigmatic products. I've been using these since early on in college when I've discovered them and, you know, just stuck with them ever since. So these are not going anywhere in my life. I'm truly addicted. They taste like a dream, super easy to use. They come in little packages so you like little packets you can just open up and pour into hot water so if you're out 
with a friend and they're getting coffee you don't want coffee just get hot water at starbucks and pour it in and you have a good mushroom elixir has a ton of health benefits you're gonna feel great gonna taste delicious i've been drinking these way more than tea which is a big deal because everyone knows i'm obsessed with tea but i really really love these so definitely check them out you can go to foursigmatic.com crw and if you use the discount code crw that will get you 15 percent off of all four sigmatic products again that's foursigmatic.com crw f-o-u-r S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C dot com slash C-R-W. Use the discount code C-R-W and you'll get 15% off. And if you try these out, I would love to hear how you like them. Somebody recently told me that she's been doing a little latte with the reishi with coconut milk, coconut butter, a little cinnamon, and that sounds amazing. A frother, you're all set to go. So give them a shot. Let me know how you like it. And I'm excited to hear what you think. The mushrooms will change your life. The four sigmatic mushrooms. All right, back to Quran. So basically what you're saying is that just because there's a probiotic that says it's soil-based organisms doesn't necessarily mean it's what you're looking for. Exactly. Yeah, you have to be very careful because of the vast majority of probiotics, whether it's a soil-based organism product or your conventional lacto and bifido strains, the vast majority of them, you have no idea what's actually in the product. And neither do the companies that, that put it together. You know, um, let, let's talk a little bit about all the issues with the conventional probiotics, right? The one that most people have access to it uh, online and so on. Mm-hmm. Um my first thing that I did when I was researching the probiotic industry is I went into this to health food stores and I always asked the clerks, what are your best probiotics? And they would always point me to the stuff in the refrigerator, right? I think most people have, have that similar experience. Yeah. And they, right? they say, this stuff in the refrigerator, that's the highest quality. And I go, well, why is it in the refrigerator? They say, well, because it's a live culture. And, and in order to be effective, it has to be maintained as a live culture. So we get it shipped here, refrigerated. We keep it in the refrigerator. That's the best stuff. And I go, so, okay, so it's sit- if it sits on the room uh, at room temperature on the shelf, it'll die off. And she's, and they would always say yes, right? And, uh, and I would say, okay, so if it can't handle 70 degrees in this room, how is it going to handle 98.6 degrees in the body? and going through a stomach acid, which has such a strong um, acid that it would burn off your fingertips. And they never have, they, no one ever had an answer, right? And so yeah. I was always that annoying guy calling these companies and going, hey, can I talk to your scientist, please? And more often than not, they're like, oh, we don't really have a scientist. Um, and uh, I would say, you know, if, if, your, if your product can't survive at room temperature, how is it going to survive in the body, which is 98.6 degrees? And they never had an answer. So we started pulling these products, testing them in the lab. And, you know, most recently we ran 45 of the top selling probiotic products on the market uh, that people spend, I think, a little over two and a half billion dollars a year on on buying these products. And none of them survive. Wow. They all die 100% going through the gastric system. Right. Wow. So, And this includes yogurts, and kefirs and that kind of stuff that you would buy in in the uh, dairy aisle as well. So imagine this. In the U.S., we spend over $30 billion a year on probiotics in in capsule form, in yogurts and kefirs and kombuchas and all that stuff. And it's all just dead bacteria going through your system. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty scary. Okay. I want to go back for a second before we dive more into that about the difference between like the lacto and bifido and Mm -hmm. the the spore based. 
Um, yes. Should people be utilizing both of those, do you recommend? Or do you think one's better than the other? Or Yeah, we haven't found a need for utilizing both okay. um, uh, of them. So, so here's the philosophy behind the lactobifido, uh, typical probiotics. What they're trying to do is reseed the gut with good bacteria. That has always been the idea behind the lactobifido strains, right? So um, this was almost 80 years ago, you know, microbiologists started analyzing people's stool samples to try to figure out what was growing in your gut. And they would be able to, they would be able to isolate a few different bacteria. So they isolated some lactobacillus species. They would sometimes isolate some uh, bifidobacteria, some streptococcus. Um, and a few different things, E. coli and so on. So, so they started getting an idea of what type of bacteria lived in the gut. Now, the way the lacto, uh, lactobacillus bacteria became popular in probiotics is because lactobacillus acidophilus was isolated initially as a good fermenting bacteria to make yogurt. Okay. Right. So that's why it was chosen. It wasn't chosen as a probiotic strain because it has some special efficacy in the body. It was chosen over a hundred years ago to ferment milk. And, and the reason why it's a good choice to ferment milk is because it can do it at a lower pH, so in a more acidic environment, which actually lowers kind of the sour taste of the fermented uh, dairy, mm -hmm. right? So for a long time, lactobacillus acidophilus was chosen primarily as a good fermenter of milk. Then companies started looking at this and going, hey, you know, maybe we can just sell the bacteria as a probiotic. And that term probiotic was coined in the 1960s, right? So, the, so this fermentation and, and the use of lactobacillus um, acidophilus to make yogurts and fermented dairy had, had been done well before that. It wasn't until the 60s and 70s that companies started saying, hey, if these are good for fermenting dairy in a factory and creating a yogurt, Maybe we can sell the bacteria and call it a probiotic, which means for life um, and as, a, as an auxiliary product. So then they started selling these strains as probiotics. Um, then when, once companies started getting more into this, the whole idea became if, if a billion is good, then 10 billion must be better. You yeah. know, and then. And then they want to, you know, another company wants to compete with them and they go, well, my competitor, my competitor has got 10 billion. I want to have 15, you know, and so that became the whole thing because I've done product development in the supplement industry for almost 20 years. And I've I've typically I'm hired as a consultant by companies to help them with the product development, creating the scientific substantiation. So I've sat in countless meetings with the marketeers and the developers of these products and they'll say, okay, we want 13 strains and, and 50 billion CFUs. And I'll go, why do you want 13 strains and 50 billion? What's your rationale? And they go, well, this is the product that we're most competing against, and they have 11 strains and 30 billion. So, you know, yeah. that's how they come up with the thing, right? And I'm going, there's no scientific substantiation for having 13 strains and 50 billion CFUs. How do we know it's even good for you? Right? Yeah. And so. And I think that's how a lot of people pick their probiotics. It's this whole idea mm -hmm. of like, they're just looking for more, more, more. And I'm like, well, what about quality versus quantity? You know, why do you need Absolutely. extra strains if they're not even doing anything? Yeah. That, and, and, and most people have been misled that way because that's the way the probiotic industry went. Right. So starting from the late 80s, early 90s, uh, when companies 
started competing with the big brand probiotic products. So the biggest brand probiotic products are actually single strain products like Culturel. Mm-hmm. Right. So when you look at the pharmaceutical companies that put out these probiotic products like uh, Culturel, which are single strain products, smaller competitors started entering the marketplace trying to compete with these major brands by saying, hey, they only have one strain. We have five. Yeah. So five's got to be better. Right. And then and then the next competitor comes along and goes, hey, we have 15. That's even better. Now, here's the big problem. As you try to add more strains and higher doses into a product, but you're trying to stay at the same price point, then the only way to do that is to go down on quality of the strains, right? So the only way, if if I'm competing with you, right, you have a product on the shelf and you're selling it for $35 for a bottle uh, for a month supply, you have three strains and you, let's say you have 10 billion CFUs. I want to compete with you and so I want to, but I want to be at that same $35 price point. Um, but I now want to have eight strains and I want to have 20 billion. Well, the only way I could do that economically is that my strains have to be much cheaper than your strains. Yeah. Right? Because I'm putting three times or twice as much. Right? So what has inevitably happened is that the vast majority of products on the market, as they're trying to compete with one another, have just gone lower and lower quality in the strains. Most of the strains do nothing. In fact, they don't even know what the strains are. You know, there was a very, there was a very scary study published in, in November of 2015 in the Journal of Nature. Nature is the number one scientific publication in the world. So this is a high-level study. University of California, Davis, took 16 different probiotic products from the marketplace in California. They got them from health food stores and they bought a few online. They did DNA analysis on the strains that were in the capsule to see how many of those strains actually match what was claimed on the label of the product, right? Out of 16 products that they tested, only one matched what was in what, what was claimed to be in the capsule. So 15 out of 16 products had different bacteria in the capsule than what the product was claiming on the label. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that is scary. scary. So when you have people, no idea. Yeah. I mean, so someone asked you, because I'm sure people ask you, how many CFUs should I be looking for? How many strains? Your answer is? My answer is it, it, it doesn't matter. Okay. My yeah. answer <laughs> is it, it, what, what the clinical trials show for that particular combination of products. So here's the other big scientific leaps most companies do, right? So then the higher level companies, they'll use what we call clinically tested strains. So what they'll do is they'll take three, four, five strains, which on their own have been studied in a trial. Right, so most of the clinical trials on on probiotic bacterial strains are on single strains by themselves, right? Mm-hmm. And the companies that make the strains are the ones doing the studies. Then the companies that sell the strains are just buying these different strains, and then they're combining them all together into one formula and selling it as a clinically tested formula. Now, from a scientific perspective, you know, one plus uh, A plus B plus C plus D doesn't necessarily mean it's a benefit, right? Because like if you take four different strains that were each tested independently uh, of one another for clinical efficacy and, and they are beneficial, when you combine them all together, it doesn't mean the collective is beneficial, Mm-hmm. Right, they could have competing mechanisms in the body. They could compete with one another. They could have antagonistic functions in the body. We don't know, right? So, so to me, what I always tell people is there are three things to look for in a probiotic 
if if you want to feel good about taking it and and it can actually improve your health number one is if it doesn't survive through the gastric system it doesn't even function as a probiotic Mm -hmm. right so if the company is not showing you data or studies or at least making a claim that it survives through the gastric ph then it, it doesn't even function as a probiotic so that's number one number two the company has to have dna analysis on the product because without DNA analysis of the strains, you really have no idea what strains are actually in the capsule and neither does the company that's making it, right? Because when it comes to bacteria, that's the only way to figure out if this powder that you're buying from a supplier somewhere in, you know, in China or somewhere else is actually the bacteria that you, you hope you're buying. Is to, and you have to do the DNA analysis. So it has to survive. You have to have DNA analysis. And the last part is, there has to be at least one clinical trial on the combination of strains that are in the product. Okay. Because when you, you know, when you combine bacteria, it doesn't necessarily mean the collective is beneficial. Yeah. That's a big scientific leap. Okay, that's extremely helpful. And I mean, I want to talk about, like you're saying, like if it doesn't even survive our gastric environment, it's not even functioning as a probiotic, but like, I also want to clear up like how these are functioning in the body because the spore-based um, probiotics function differently than other probiotics, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And can you explain like the difference in function? Yeah. So one big thing is, uh, you know, the biggest thing is that the spore-based probiotics are alive in the gut, right? Mm-hmm. So when when the bacteria are alive in the gut, they can do so many more things than when they hit the gastric system, and then they die. Now, I will say that some strains, even when they're dead, can have a beneficial effect. Okay. So there are strains, like, for example, Lactobacillus rhamnosus GG. That, sp- that particular variant has been studied, and they actually have studies that show that when you take the strain and you heat kill it, so you deliberately kill it before administering it, that dead version of the bacteria actually works better than the live version. What is it doing? So, <laughs> yeah, so that's a really important question, right? So, the, and there's a lot of studies on, on certain strains that have this benefit when they're dead. So, the reason why, um, there's a few different things. One is the outer cell membrane structure of the bacteria has some recognition proteins on it that can stimulate or upregulate the immune system. Okay. Right. So it doesn't matter if it's alive or dead. If the bacteria is is dead, it means it's broken up into pieces, and some of those pieces have a stimulatory effect on the on the immune system in the gut. That's one way that it can help. The number two is some of its DNA, the DNA within the bacteria cell, can actually be utilized by either our cells or our own bacteria to perform useful functions. So when when the bacteria is dead, it releases its DNA, and then our cells or our own bacteria cells can utilize that DNA and make proteins and do beneficial things. Now the last part is, and and this is there's two or three mechanisms in which dead bacteria can be beneficial. Um, the last part is a lot of these uh, specialized strains of bacteria contain things called microRNA. MicroRNA is this tiny little piece of RNA which is different than DNA. It's also a coding uh, system for for generating proteins. But these little microRNAs can actually get into our cells and turn on and off certain genes. So it controls our epigenetics. Okay. 
So these are some of the systems by which certain dead bacteria can actually have a beneficial effect. Now, there are limitations on it because typically these dead bacteria have one or two uh, beneficial effects within them. The other thing is the, the benefit goes away um, the moment the you poop the bacteria out. So, you know, 12, 18 hours later, the benefit is gone. Yeah. So it, it's really more of a, a, a what we call a metabolic response. So, in fact, the scientific term for these types of bacteria are metabolic response modifiers. They're not actually considered probiotics from the scientific definition. Okay. So, so you know, a lot of people will, tell, will say when they hear me talk about probiotics in, in general, what they have available on the market, they'll say, well, I did buy this product once and I took it and I felt some benefit. Right, And if, if you're saying that they're not surviving, they're not colonizing, then how did I feel the benefit? Well, that's because that happened to be a type of a probiotic that was um, that had at least one, maybe two bacteria within that formula that when the bacteria was dead actually had a benefit to that particular person. Okay. You know, so that, that's where you see benefits from some of these uh, conventional products. Now, how do the spores uh, work differently? So the spores have these have a really interesting innate function in the body. They are essentially the housekeepers of our gut, right? So we've developed this really interesting symbiotic relationship with them where we say, we'll give you a home to exist in and it's your job to clean up the home, right? So they do this in a few different ways. One, the first thing they do when they get into the gut is they use something called quorum sensing. Quorum sensing is the way bacteria read one another's signature. So bacteria can come into a space and they can read the, signature, the chemical signatures of other bacteria to figure out who else is there and in what quantities. Okay. These spores are really good at doing that, right? So one of the reasons they do that is they look for pathogenic or harmful organisms in the microbiome. When they find pathogenic or harmful organisms, they'll go and sit next to them and they'll produce up to 25 different antibiotics to kill off those bad bacteria. Okay. So, so they act as like your gut police in that sense, right? So they get in, they find the bad guys, and they kill them off. Now, at the same time, they produce a whole bunch of interesting compounds that actually help regrow your other good bacteria. Mm-hmm. You know, so they, they completely modulate the microbiome. So they're killing off bad bacteria, and then they're regrowing a good bacteria. We're going to be publishing a paper this year for the first time that was shown that a probiotic can be used to dramatically increase the diversity of the microbiome. So imagine these four or five species that we put into our system in these in this spore-based probiotic can actually increase the micro microbiome diversity by almost 50%. Yeah. Well, and what's interesting is, well, this is, I think, what everybody thinks is happening as they're taking this pill that's filled mm-hmm. with beneficial bacteria and they think that what's happening is that pill goes down their their digestive tract and then opens up and then there's more beneficial bacteria right that's been the that's been the assumption yes absolutely but that's not what's happening that's not what's happening at all it's not even (laughs) close you know and that's why they so that's part of this whole more is better thing they're like well if beneficial bacteria are good let's just put in a trillion of them you know let's just put in a 700 billion Mm -hmm. and but none of that is happening they're all dying and you're pooping them out 12 hours later and and the, the spore based aren't repopulating the bacteria because they themselves have a ton of beneficial bacteria it's because of the effects they're having once they're in the gut 
correct? Yeah, so what they're doing is they're going in and they're reconditioning the gut environment to to increase the growth of more diverse species of bacteria. Okay, so like what's so, kind of already in there? It's helping. Exactly, that are kind of already in there. Now, um, we all actually have pretty good diversity in our microbiomes. We have bacteria there that are trying to do well, that are trying to grow, but we, we end up with a dysbiotic floor because we're exposed to so many chemicals and toxins and antibiotics and so on, which is a whole other conversation we could have about all the things in our modern environment that are destroying our ecology in their gut. But um, what tends to happen is because we put these negative stresses on our gut microbiome, we end up favoring the growth of certain types of pathogenic organisms. You know, and so yeah. we end up having this imbalance where we have too many of these pathogenic, robust organisms and not enough of the good organisms whose numbers go so low that they're basically non-functional. I th this is a whole other podcast in itself, but what do you think are just like the biggest offenders when it comes to like reducing our bacterial diversity, like what's really harming people? So the number one thing is glyphosate. Okay. Uh, so Roundup, right? So mm -hmm. glyphosate is an antimicrobial. Um, what's what's really concerning about it is not only is it an antimicrobial like uh, like an antibiotic is, but it's the worst kind of antibiotic because it selectively kills good bacteria. Okay. It's the only antimicrobial that I know of that can selectively kill good bacteria and allow bad bacteria to, to proliferate. You know, and, and the crazy thing about it is it's it's very prevalent in our in our environment. A recent study came out that showed that even organic food, so even if you choose non-GMO organic, even organic food has high levels of glyphosate on it because of the cross-contamination in the processing system. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this stresses me out. <laughs> right? We can't get away from it. Yeah. I mean, Babies are born in in um, in the U.S. with glyphosate in their core blood, in their oh amniotic fluid. Gosh! Right, yeah. and, and here's the crazy thing: so they they use a lot of glyphosate on, for example, on wheat products. Right, we know that we know they use it on wheat and GMO corn and soy. So you might say, "Oh, I'm going to eat oatmeal because I'm going gluten free. I'm going to eat organic oatmeal." Well. Um, Organic oatmeal has a good amount of glyphosate on it as well just because of cross-contamination. But let's say you don't choose organic, uh, the organic version of oatmeal. They use glyphosate on oats as a desiccant before harvesting. So basically they soak the oat fields in glyphosate to dry it out before they harvest it. Mm. So you would think that, you know, you're avoiding wheat to get away from this stuff, but it's in oats, it's in, you know, most vegetables, and fruits and all that. So it's inevitable that we're going to come across it and it's going to destroy the ecology in our microbiome. It's going to select for the growth of Clostridia. It selects for the growth of, of Salmonella, of Klebsiella, of Pseudomonas, all of these bad bacteria that tend to lead to autoimmune disease in kids. It leads to autism, ADD, ADHD. In adults, it leads to Alzheimer's, Parkinson's. In people who are in their in their teens, twenties, thirties, it leads to autoimmune disease, um, emotional distress, eating disorders, and so on. So it all starts from the same thing. It's this mess messing up of our ecology. Yeah. Right. So what we were looking at is can we reverse the negative impact of antimicrobials like glyphosate that we can't seem to get away from 
um, can we reverse the negative impact that it's doing? And that's what we're seeing the spores are able to do. So okay. that's yeah, powerful. So <laughs> it's, it's absolutely mind blowing to me because the other thing that occurs the moment your, your microbiome shifts and, and becomes more predominant with these kind of harmful bacteria as you end up with leaky gut. Yes. Right. And so we did a study last year, the first of its kind published. We published it in a very high-level gastroenterology journal. Um, it, w- it was the first time a probiotic or any compound has been shown to actually cure leaky gut in as little as 30 days. And how is it doing that? Ah, so that's the, that's the magical question. Um, and so it's doing it in a few different ways, right? So the biggest thing <clears throat> that drives leaky gut is, again, the dysbiosis. So when you fix dysbiosis, and dysbiosis is a term meaning an imbalance of good and bad bacteria in the microbiome, right? And that's driven by our environment and our food and so on. And so if we can fix the dysbiosis, then the stressor for leaky gut is gone. So that's one of the things the spores are doing is it's fixing the dysbiosis. So you have a better balanced microbiome. You have more beneficial bacteria. The other thing it's doing is it's producing high levels of short-chain fatty acids, especially butyrate. Mm-hmm. Butyrate regenerates the mucosal lining that acts as a protective layer on top of our intestinal uh, intestinal wall. So that mucosal structure is really important to reducing the, the incidence of leaky gut. If we don't have this protective mucosal structure, then you get a significant amount of permeability of toxins and bacterial and viral components interacting with the intestinal lining basically. So, so the spores are regenerating the, the uh, mucosal lining. Then the last part is, you know, you've heard the term tight junctions, right? Yeah. That's, that's the space in between the cells that make up the intestinal lining. To maintain the tight junctions, to, to keep them closed and keep them from being leaky, there are 40 different proteins that exist in between the two cells that keep them closed and keep them in the right protective structure. These are called clotted and occludin proteins. As it turns out, the spores increase the expression of these key clotted and occludin proteins. So when the spores get into your system, they interact with your intestinal lining cells and make your intestinal lining cells produce more of these proteins that keep the tight junctions closed. Wow. Okay. Right? So they're doing it in three different ways. It's amazing. That's why... In 30 days, without any other therapy, and these this study was done on college students, mm-hmm. so they're not doing anything good for themselves in 30 days, right? <laughs> we know that. Yeah. They're still drinking. They're still stressed. There's still lack of sleep. They're doing they're eating fast food. We were shocked to see that in 30 days, we could, we could resolve their leaky gut without any other therapies or dietary changes, but it did, and the reason it could is because it's doing it by all three of these mechanisms. It's a profound change in, in how your body responds to the environment around you. That's very impressive and very powerful, honestly. Um, you know, it's like... I am I'm no expert like you, but I mean, I follow the research and I'm a big believer in, in the spores as well. I think it's really amazing what they're like doing in the body, but I have a lot of practitioner friends who don't feel comfortable utilizing them because I don't know, well, you seem like you pay more attention to 
actual research and studies than blogs on the internet. But there are a lot of websites and blogs that are saying that these are really dangerous and that they're extremely pathogenic in mammals and can cause more harm than good and no one should be using them unless you already have perfect gut health. Have you heard any of that, any of that chatter? (laughs) Yeah, so that really only comes from one source. Uh Um, There's a single blog out there that that um, and I've talked to the guy that writes the blog. So and here's the problem with the health space right now and the Internet in general. Right. Because any Joe Schmo can have a voice out there. Yeah. And. And a lot of it is just pure nonsense. And so I, I, I took the time and I spent, you know, three hours on the phone with that guy. And and, it, and it's a lot of it is just people, you know, cutting and pasting what he's written. So there's, yeah. there's actually just one source. Um, and, and I talked to him about it. And as it turns out, you know, one of the things I wanted to find out is what are his qualifications, right? Like where, how is he coming to his conclusions? Well, as it turns out, his only qualification as a, as a health as he, as he says, practitioner, is that he worked in a vitamin shop for two years. Oh. <laughs> he, he doesn't even have an undergraduate college degree. Okay. Right? He went from high school to working in a vitamin shop, and then he's now a health expert. All right? So yeah. <laughs> that alone to me was like, okay. But let me give him, maybe he's a genius, who knows? Let's look into his, what he's, what he's writing and all that. And so mm-hmm. then as I dug further, I found out that he's actually paid by other companies to, to, to create this kind of fear mongering to, um, you know, to, to, kind of, to kind of hurt market share of companies that are doing soil-based organisms. So uh-huh. a lot of it started um, there's, uh, with Garden of Life, remember Garden of Life were one of the first companies that actually put out a soil-based organism product, mm-hmm. right? With, and that's what their product called the Primal Defense. Um, they started getting, um, uh, they started gaining a lot of market shares. There are other brands like, um, you know, uh, that have conventional bifidobacteria products that started seeing that Garden of Life was gaining market share by doing this whole soil-based organism thing. So they started paying certain people to put this fear thing out there that oh, soil-based organisms are dangerous or spore organisms are dangerous and so on. So they put it out there. Here's the fact of it. Spore-based organisms have been used as probiotics longer than most other strains on the market. They have been prescription drugs in Europe, Asia, and Latin America since 1952. In fact, the first spore-based organism uh, prescription product uh, called Entrogermina was launched in France and Germany in 1952. It's still on the market today over 60 years later. They're the most widely used prescription probiotics in Europe, in, in Southeast Asia, in Central Asia, in Latin America, and so on. So there's a ton of information <laughs> on on its clinical use as a probiotics. Not to mention our ancestors were eating them for millions of years. Yeah. Right. So it's again that's just the the internet. Now we have um, in in our database we've got over fifteen thousand practitioners in the U- in just in the U.S. alone that use the spore based products that we that we make. Um, and, and they're seeing some amazing, amazing results. In fact, they, they use them in one of the big cancer clinics in, um, in Houston. They use them at Northwestern in Chicago. Um, we use them in, in the UK. 
they're sold by one of the biggest pharmaceutical companies out of Philippines. Um, you know, their their prescription product, the same products we make, our prescription product in Romania and and Brazil and so on. So, okay, the use is widespread. Yeah, a lot of this is chatter on the internet, which is why I'm glad you cleared that up where that's really coming from. Um, another thing yeah. that people talk a lot about on on the internet are lipopolysaccharides mm-hmm. um, yeah. and their effects on inflammation and health issues. Have you done research regarding the probiotics and, and those bacterial toxins? That's what we did, yeah. Okay. So. Um, in our study that we published last year, um, lipopolysaccharides are abbreviated LPS, right? So I'll refer to them as LPS because mm-hmm. it's hard to say lipopolysaccharide every time. Yeah. Um, so bacterial LPS is the number one driver of, that's the toxin I mentioned earlier as the number one driver of, of Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, okay, it's the LPS. Uh, you know, heart disease. It's LPS. So, so LPS is, um, a, um, is an endotoxin that's found in the cell um, cell membrane structure of about 70% of the bacteria that exists in your gut today, mm. right? And these are your beneficial bacteria too, so they're not bad bacteria. Um, so every bacteria in the world can be, can be um, categorized as gram-negative or gram-positive. Gram-negative bacteria have this LPS in the cell membrane. Gram-positive bacteria do not. Right, and so about seventy percent of the bacteria that exists in your gut, these are your good commensal beneficial bacteria, happen to be gram-negative bacteria, which means they contain this LPS. Now, why do they contain the LPS? Well, LPS is actually, if from from the perspective of the bacteria, it's a really useful tool. They use it to communicate with one another. They use it as a signaling molecule to communicate with our immune cells. Um, they use it to bind to our mucosal tissue. So there's a lot of use for the LPS, it becomes a problem when it's out of the bacteria. So when it's sitting in the membrane of the bacteria, it's basically a communication tool. Now, when the bacteria dies and releases it, then and when it's floating around by itself, that's when it becomes a really potent toxin, right? Now, it's not a problem if it stays in the intestines and then you poop it out which is what is supposed to happen. But when your gut is leaky, that's when the LPS can go from the intestinal lumen, which is the hole in the intestine, the tube, if you will, where food passes through, through that mucosal layer, through the intestinal lining, and then into your circulatory system. Gotcha. That's when LPS becomes a real significant problem, right? So here are some of the things that LPS can do, which is very scary. Once, if LPS enters your blood, it can get into deep areas of your brain like your amygdala and your hippocampus and cause memory issues, cause severe brain fog. It can cause uh, dysfunction of your dopamine receptors in your serotonin recycling system. So it causes um, you know, not only brain fog and memory recall issues, but it also causes anxiety and depression. It can get into your gums and cause gingivitis and gum disease. Um, it can get into your joints and your um, you know, in, in your uh, lower extremities and cause things like rheumatoid arthritis. Um, it'll it can get into your brain and cause insulin resistance in your vascular system. It causes heart disease. Um, it can get into your central nervous system and cause Parkinson's. So it does all of these insanely terrible things. And every time you eat food, you get a huge increase of LPS entering your body. Okay. So that's what we tested in um, in our leaky gut study. You know what we were concerned about was, um, you know, 
if you eat food and you get this huge influx of LPS entering your body if your gut is leaky, can we stop that and reverse that from happening? Right. So we took a hundred college students and we screened them for leaky gut. And, and when I say leaky gut, I mean we give them a meal and then we measure the amount of LPS that's now in their circulatory system after the meal compared to before the meal. Mm-hmm. Right. So what we were looking for is a six fold increase in LPS in the circulatory system after the meal. So six X increase over what the baseline level is before the meal. Now, when we when we tested, uh, when we screened the college students, we found that 55% of them had a huge 6x increase of LPS endotoxins entering into their circulatory system after having a meal. Wow. 55%, right? So 55% of healthy, young college students with no disease, no obesity, um, you know, no, no chronic illness at all, have this kind of LPS influx into their system. In a previous study, the university did, we worked with University of North Texas on this, in a previous study, they showed that it took the body almost two weeks to recover from that influx of LPS from a single meal. Wow, okay. Two weeks. The amount of inflammation and toxic damage that that LPS does from one meal, it takes your body two weeks to recover from it. Imagine you're doing this three times a day. You never recover from it. Okay, so if that doesn't convince someone to take a probiotic, I'm not (laughs) sure what will. Um, Right? Well, speaking of meals also, do you recommend people take probiotics with meals or without? With meals, absolutely. Okay. I mean, if you look at how our ancestors got their probiotics, they got it when they ate food. Yes. And and um, and they, they're they active in the presence of food. Um, they should actually help you break down the food. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a big function of good functional probiotic bacteria like the spores. They actually produce a whole array of digestive enzymes that actually helps you break down and assimilate the food. The other thing they do is then they also prevent what we call sacrolytic or sorry proteolytic fermentation of the food so proteolytic fermentation of food takes carbohydrates from the food and converts it into gas okay what you want is sacrolytic fermentation where you take the car- carbohydrates and turn it into short chain fatty acids yes so that's that's what the uh, the spores do for you they when you take them with your meal they push most of the fermentation into the sacrolytic side so you're converting it into short chain fatty acids rather than gas Okay. And how long, say someone's taking a good high quality probiotic, like how long do they need to be taking that to see results? And also what if someone's taking it and they're like, I don't notice anything different. Should they keep taking it? Yeah. So, um, those are, those are two really important questions. So the first one, how long does it take before they notice a difference? For the most part, you should notice a difference by the end of the first bottle. Okay. Now the difference may be things that you don't necessarily attribute to the probiotic. For example, if you're stopping the leakiness of your gut, right? So let's say you're somebody that has some digestive issues. You you don't have a terrible digestive issues. You don't have like Crohn's or colitis or, or uh, celiac disease or anything like that, but you have some indigestion issues when you eat, eat certain things. You might get some bloat uh, on occasion, just some discomfort. And so you start taking a probiotic. What is likely going on is that you do have leaky gut, but you, but you don't have a, um, a measurable symptomatic dysfunction in how your gut is working um, from, from, the, from the perspective of digestion. So your gut is leaky. So 
you might be suffering from other issues like anxiety or you might be having sleep issues or you might be having focus issues or energy issues. All of that is stemming from the leakiness in your gut. Right, so you would take this probiotic, especially the spores, if it's if it's resolving leaky gut, you might feel some minor changes in your digestion, but you're sleeping much better, mm-hmm. and your 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 anxious thoughts are much more lowered. You know, you're you're waking up more rested. Those are some of the things you might actually notice, but you may not attribute it to the probiotic because you're thinking probiotic digestive health. Yeah, right. Very so true. that's. Yeah, that's one thing that's really important for people to understand is when you take a truly protective probiotic, one that is sealing up that leakiness in your gut, dramatically reducing inflammation in the body, um, dramatically improving how your immune system reacts to the environment around you, you will notice things that are completely periphery to the gut itself. And I would say if you're taking that kind of probiotic, you'll notice some difference in how your body functions within the first 30 days. Now, let's say you are taking it, you don't notice anything, even if you're looking at peripheral things. We know that these bacteria are highly protective to the microbiome. We also know that our environment is highly disruptive to the microbiome. So even though you may not yet have an issue, a, a medical issue, or something that you can uh, you can you know pin a label on like, oh, I have Hashimoto's, or I have lupus, or I have this condition, our system is brewing disease, Mm -hmm. right? Because of the environment that we're in, it's inevitable that we will face some form of chronic illness at some point. And all of that starts with this dysfunction in the gut and a dysbiosis that is driven by our environment. And so as much as we can prevent that that, um, disruption, that, that will benefit us in the long run. Yeah, all about that preventative care. Um, but are there any populations who like shouldn't be taking probiotics? You know, um, so I I would say in, in probiotics again. When I talk about probiotics, I talk about like the well qualified study yes. of probiotics, right? So I I think people shouldn't be taking the average stuff that you can find in your health food stores or online because taking a hundred billion of a bunch of random strains can actually be detrimental to mm-hmm. your microbiome because it's a very unnatural thing. Right, so I always ask people, where did our ancestors get a hundred billion CFUs of lacto and bifido every day? Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't. They didn't. That's a very unnatural thing. Those those particular strains you get from mom during the birthing process, and then for the rest of your life, you have your own unique um, population of lactobacillus, bifidobacteria, and so on. Right. So the and then and then your only exposure to other bacteria comes from your environment. Yeah. So so it's it's kind of unusual to take those other types of probiotics. It's unusual practice for your gut. But let's say we're talking about well-qualified studied probiotics. Um, there really aren't. I mean, you know, people will say immunocompromised people should be careful. Well, immunocompromised people should be careful if they're taking a pathogenic bacteria. Yeah. Right. But but these probiotic strains are non-pathogenic. They're, in fact, they are very protective of the immune system. They enhance the protective nature of the immune system. So, you know, they, there's no danger for even an immunocompromised person. Um, and, and you'll hear people online and all that say, well, what if they become opportunistic? Right. So that and that, in fact, is one of the lines of 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 people trying to create fear around spore based organisms and all that is what if they become opportunistic? Well, that in in itself, you know that they don't understand microbiology at all. 
you either are an opportunistic bacteria or you're not an opportunistic bacteria. You don't you don't go from being a friendly bacteria to becoming an opportunistic <laughs> bacteria, right? Yeah. And so that doesn't exist okay. in science. So and the and the thing and and harmful bacteria fall into one of two categories. They either are pathogenic or they're opportunistic. So their goal is to produce toxins to make the host sick. But some bacteria can do it under any condition because they're really strong. And then others require an opportunity to do it. That's where the word opportunistic comes from. Mm -hmm. So if the bacteria itself is not a toxin-producing bacteria that is harmful, it cannot just become opportunistic, right? So so that, that that's a qualifier. I, I To me, the only people I say to, to be precautious of it, if you're undergoing chemotherapy at the moment, if you are a on on specific immunosuppressants, like let's say you just got a kidney transplant or a skin graft or something like that, your doctors are uh, have you on specific immunosuppressants, um, then you probably don't want because most good probiotics will upregulate your immune system to some degree. Okay. And and your doctors may not want you to do that. Gotcha. So so those would be the people I would say you know have precaution. But other than that. Everybody should be on a high-quality probiotic. Okay, so let's clear that up for people. So what are high-quality probiotics? What do you recommend? So well, I would say um, number one is um, I- I'm a big fan of Saccharomyces boulardii. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a lot of research on Saccharomyces boulardii as a strain itself. So, you know, Floristore, the uh, the commercial brand that you find, there's, there's several other companies that, that utilize Saccharomyces boulardii as a strain um, in, in their probiotics. But other than that, to me, the most the, the most beneficial ones are the spore-based probiotics. So uh, I, we do a lot of our research with the Just Thrive probiotic, which is a four-spore combination uh, probiotic product. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been it's DNA verified. It's been shown to survive through the gastric system, um, and more, most importantly, the formula itself has clinical studies behind it to show that it has a significant benefit in the microbiome. And not only is it a benefit like it reduces gas and bloating and improves regularity, it's actually doing things like sealing up leaky gut preventing the influx of LPS, lipopolysaccharide endotoxins, reducing a significant amount of um, inflammation in the body, increasing the diversity of the microbiome, increasing the growth of of key bacterial strains like acromantia, which protects against metabolic syndrome, or fecalum bacteria that protects against inflammatory conditions in the bowel. So it's doing this whole kind of gut remodeling system to try to fix all of the damage we do by living in this modern Western world. Yeah, and what's the difference between something like Just Thrive and Megaspore? So Megaspore is the physician version. It's got one additional strain, and there's about 35% more potency to it. Megaspore requires tapering the dose, uh, and that's why we sell it through practitioners only, uh, because we want practitioners to be working with their their clients to taper the dose slowly uh, to get up to the full dose over a period of time, and it depends on the condition. Uh, We may just thrive as a um, a, a probiotic. It's just one a day. Anyone can take it and start it at one a day, and um, and it'll get you uh, you very similar benefits too. Okay. Are there any from the store that meet your standards? Like if people are like, I, what can I get when I go to Whole Foods? 
Ah, so you know, just thrive is in in uh, vitamin shops, for example, and uh-huh. it's in many it's in many of the health food stores. Um, there, there's a in the health food stores itself. Hmm, that's a good question. <laughs> like it's everyone really- is really everyone's really tied on like what you might like renew life, garden of life, like all uh, of those. Those don't uh, those don't stack up. No, you know, they, none of them have any studies on the combination of strains. None of them survive the gastric system. We've tested all of those brands. Um, they don't have DNA analysis to verify the strains. It's really unfortunate, but it's really hard to think of probiotic brands that actually meet those basic scientific criteria. Yeah. You know, um, uh, look, one of the ones that we've worked with is uh, Silver Fern which is a, a product called the Ultimate Probiotic. That's, that's one that, that meets some of the criteria. Um, but other than that, that's why we actually created the, the Just Thrive and the Megaspore uh, is because when in, in doing this research, and, and remember, we didn't get into this research with the intention of ever creating a product. We were hired to do it by a third party. Mm-hmm. And then after we figured out that, wow, this is what's available in the, in the industry, we were compelled to bring out in a really efficacious product that actually makes scientific sense. Yeah, and then going back to the Saccharomyces boulardii, like that, you seem like there seems to be more brands that you think are good enough. Like, would you recommend a Floristore? I would. I actually have taken Floristore myself. I take it when I travel. Mm-hmm. Um, if I've ever had to use antibiotics, I will use Floristore. Um, when when I use antibiotics, um, so I, I have used it. Now the other one is for kids. Um, if you the Culturel for kids actually has good studies on helping kids overcome viral infections uh, using Culturel. Okay. So so there's some some studies there um, on that single strain. That's that Rhamnosus GG strain that um, that has been shown that even if it dies in the stomach, it still has benefit um so that that's one and then another one is there's another strain called um lactobacillus acidophilus dds1 you can find that that particular strain in a in a few different brands out in the market uh there's a brand called probiogen uh, which actually uses really good spore based uh, uh strains as well um that dds1 is a strain that really is good at helping with women's urogenital health so with vaginal health um, it, it doesn't colonize, it doesn't survive, but it's another one of those strains that shows that when it, even though it, it dies in the gastric system, it upregulates metabolic response that actually seems to help with, uh, with creating a healthy vaginal microbiome. Okay. And if someone's taking antibiotics, mm-hmm. um, is there, what, what do you suggest in terms of timing for your probiotics? So in the studies we've done, so we did a study with liver failure patients with our spores. Um, they were taking um, rifaximin, which is one of the worst antibiotics for a bacteria, for a probiotic bacteria, because rifaximin stays in the gut much longer than any other antibiotic does. And and still, we they took it at the exact same time, and it still worked. It worked uh, perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. So if it's if it's you know inconvenient to spread out. When you take your antibiotic, when you take your probiotic, you can just take them together and it, and it's will, will work just fine. It's so funny you bring that up about Rifaximin because that's why it's like like marketed as like the, the safest antibiotic because it stays yeah. in the gut. Right. I know. It's, it's, it, it's actually a really cheap antibiotic that was developed 
decades ago for dysentery, for traveler's diarrhea, uh, because it stays in the gut and it can kill off infecting bacteria in the gut. Now it's being marketed for SIBO mm-hmm. um, at like a thousand times the price. Yeah, it's literally like a thousand dollars. I was put on it, it like it four years ago. Yeah, and it cost me a thousand dollars. It's absolutely crazy. You you could buy that same drug in in Mexico, the exact same drug for like ten bucks. Oh you know, my and, god, I didn't know that. My mind yeah, is blown. It, that it is was that originally. Cheap? Oh my god, it's crazy. It was originally developed as a cheap antibiotic for travelers' diarrhea, and and you could buy it even in the U.S. You could buy it like twenty years ago for like twenty dollars. It was one of the cheapest antibiotics. Then they got these new indications. There's a couple new indications. One is SIBO that they're using it for. And then the other one is for uh, something that we actually did the study on, hepatic encephalopathy, which is a liver failure issue. And these people have to take it every single day of their lives, basically forever. And it costs them over $2,000 a month to take it. Wow. Oh, I think that's gonna I know a lot of people who listen to this podcast have been on that antibiotic. So I think that's gonna be a a big mind mind blowing moment for them when they hear that. It's it's crazy. It's you know, that's a pharma industry. You know, it's it's the same cheap drug that that was being sold for like twenty bucks uh just just a couple decades ago. Well, I so appreciate you sharing all this because I think it's just so important for people to really understand like what's going on with marketing in these different companies and like even just, you know, I meet this resistance with people all the time when they ask me about a probiotic and I always recommend Just Thrive and people think I'm being annoying that I can't just, they're like, I don't see it. It's not Whole Foods. There has to be something at Whole Foods. I'll just get this one. And I'm like, okay, well, you're just wasting your money. You know, it's yeah, absolutely. You know, it's just a waste of money, and people need to understand that it's you know, there's just a lot of marketing stuff that goes behind it. Um, it is, and it, you know, and and the unfortunate thing is, when we looked at it, right? If you look at the economics of of supplement companies and probiotics, and, and most people have this misconception that supplement companies are highly science driven companies, even the major brands, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they're not. They're for the most part marketing companies, and and then they hire people like me to come in and help consult on the science side. Um, you know, and the, the thing of it is any one of these brands spend 10 times more on marketing than they do on science. Yeah. You know, and that's the problem, right? Because it, it's so easy to generate emotion and generate buying uh, impetus from people with clever marketing. Uh, and it's much more complicated and hard to do really good signs. And so when we launched these products on the market, w- from day one, we spent five times more on signs than we've spent on any sort of marketing. Um, you know, we've, we've, uh, we're doing 10 human clinical trials right now on the spores. The 99.9% of companies that sell a probiotic on the market today don't have a single clinical trial. Yeah, and I don't think people realize that. So I'm they glad don't. you're yeah. sharing that. And okay, so like you're doing all these clinical trials. Where can people like keep up with that information? Like where can people go to learn more about this? Like what those what those results will be when they come out? So um, if they look at thriveprobiotic.com, there is a section which is like the the, the science tab or the uh, I think it says science or uh, or the blog, and there's a lot of that 
information that's that's posted on there mm-hmm. um they can always follow i do a lot of interviews and all that and a lot of these kind of interviews i do that talk about the upcoming research and studies that we're doing are posted on youtube so if they just look up my name and and uh on youtube there's a lot of videos up there um but but they can follow the blog on uh, uh which is a uh, you know uh, something that they can link from the thrive probiotic website and uh, there's a lot of great scientific information that that we post on there okay awesome well thank you so much for sharing all this i think this is going to help so many people you like blew my mind so many times so i just really really appreciate (laughs) you yeah i really really appreciate it so thank you so much yes the pleasure is all mine and thank you again for having me and let's do it again yes i would love that All right, you guys, I hope that you love that episode with Karan Krishnan as much as I did. I'm so thankful that he came on the podcast and was willing to share all of his knowledge and his findings and the different studies that he has been conducting. It's really nice to chat with somebody who's kind of in the thick of it and studying this themselves versus interpreting data that's not their own. So really nice to hear it from him. And I hope you learned a lot. You probably took notes. Nice. And make sure that you enter the giveaway on my Instagram page for a month's supply of Just Thrive Probiotic. Love it. And if you want to get your own, go to bit.ly slash Thrive Probiotic CRW and check out the Just Thrive Probiotic. Get yourself some amazing, amazing product. It's also on the shop page on my website. If you haven't already joined the Facebook group, head to Wellness Realness Podcast Tribe on Facebook. Just search that. Join. Join the community. Love to hear from you. Get to know you better. And if you loved this show, please leave a rating and review on iTunes. It would seriously mean a lot to me. And if you think this information would help somebody in your life, send this podcast to them. Let them know that they can learn a lot from this episode, a lot more about probiotics. There's a lot of bad information out there about probiotics. So I think it's about time we set the record straight. We don't want anyone to fall into marketing scams. (laughs) All right, that's all I have for you this week. Loved chatting with you as usual, and I'll be back next Monday. Bye.